Chapter 2 of Ghosts, being the experiences of Flaxman Lowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ghosts, being the experiences of Flaxman Lowe, by Kay and Hexteth Pritchard. Chapter 2. Ghosts. The Story of Medans Lee The following story has been put together from the account of the affair given by Narid Jones, sometime house surgeon at Bart, of his strange terror and experiences both in Medans Lee and the pallid avenue between the beaches, of the narrative of Savelsan of what he saw and heard in the billiard-room and afterwards, of the silent and indisputable witness of big bull-necked harland himself and lastly of the conversation which took place between these three men and flaxman low the noted psychologist it was by the merest chance that harland and his two guests spent that memorable evening of the eighteenth of january eighteen eighty nine in the house of medans lee the house stands on the slope of a partially wooded ridge in one of the Midland counties. It faces south and overlooks a wide valley bounded by the blue outlines of the Bredon Hills. The place is secluded, the nearest dwelling being a small public house at the crossroads some mile and a half from the lodge gates. Medans Lee is famous for its long straight avenue of beaches and for other things. Harland, when he signed the lease, was thinking of the avenue of beaches, and not of the other things, of which he knew nothing, until later. Harland had made his money by running tea plantations in Assam, and he owned most of the virtues and faults of a man who had spent most of his life abroad. The first time he visited the house he weighed seventeen stone, and he ended most of his sentences with, Don't you know? His ideas could hardly be said to travel on the higher planes of thought, and his chief aim in life was to keep himself down to seventeen stone. He had a red neck and a blue eye, and was a muscular, inoffensive, good-natured man with courage to spare, and an excellent voice for accompanying the banjo. After signing the lease, he found that Medans Lee needed an immense amount of putting in order and decorating. While this was being done, he came backwards and forwards to the nearest provincial town, where he stopped at a hotel, driving out almost daily to superintend the arrangements of his new habitation. Thus he had been away for Christmas and the New Year. But about the 15th of January, he returned to the Red Lion, accompanied by his friends, Nair Jones and Savilsan, who proposed to move with him into his new house during the course of the ensuing week. The immediate cause of their visit to Medansley on the evening of the 18th inst was the fact that the billiard table at the Red Lion was not fit, as Harland remarked, to play shinty on, while there was an excellent table just put in at Medansley where the big billiard-room in the left wing 
had a wide window with a view down a portion of the beech avenue. Hang it, Head Harland. I wish they would hurry up with the house. The painters aren't out of it yet, and the people don't come to the lodge until Monday. It's a pity, too, remarked Savilsan regretfully, when you think of that table. Savilsan was an enthusiast in billiards, who spent all the time he could spare from his business, which happened to be in tea-broking, at the game. He was the more sorry for the delay, since Harland was one of the few men he knew to whom it was not necessary to give points. It's a ripping table, returned Harland. Tell you what, he added, struck by a happy idea. I'll send out Tom's to make things straight for us tomorrow, and we'll put a case of siphons and a bottle of whisky under the seat of the trap, and drive over for a game after dinner. The other two agreed to this arrangement, but in the morning Nair Jones found himself obliged to run up to London to see about securing a berth as a ship's doctor. It was settled, however, that on his return he was to follow Harland and Savelsan to Medans Lee. He got back at 8.30, entirely delighted, because he had booked a steamer bound for the Persian Gulf and Karachi and had gained the cheering intelligence that a virulent type of cholera was lying in wait for the advent of the Mecca pilgrims, in, at any rate, two of the cheap ports of call, which would give him precisely the experience he desired. Having dined, and the night being fine, he ordered a dog-cart to take him out to Medans Lee. The moon had risen by the time he reached the entrance to the avenue, and as he was beginning to feel the cold, he pulled up, intending to walk to the house. He dismissed the boy and cart, a carriage having been ordered to come for the whole party after midnight. Nair Jones stopped to light a cigar before entering the avenue, then walked quickly past the empty lodge. He moved briskly in the best possible temper with himself and all the world. The night was still, and his collar was up, his feet fell silently on the dry carriage road, while his mind was away on the blue water, forecasting his voyage on the SS Sumatra. He says he was quite halfway up the avenue, before he became conscious of anything unusual. Looking up at the sky, he noticed what a bright, clear night it was, and how well defined the outline of the beaches was against the vault of heaven. The moon was yet low, and threw netted shadows of bare twigs and branches on the road, which ran between the black lines of the trees in an almost straight vista up to the dead grey of the house, now barely two hundred yards away. Altogether it struck him as a pallid picture, etched in like a steel engraving, black and grey and white. He was thinking this, when he was aware of words, spoke rapidly in his ear, and he turned, half expecting to see someone behind him. No one was visible. He had not caught the words, nor could he define the voice, but a vague conviction of some horrible meaning fixed itself in his consciousness. The night was very still. Ahead of him the house glimmered grey and shuttered, 
in the moonlight. He shook himself and walked on, oppressed by the novel sensation compounded of disgust and childish fear, and still from behind his shoulder came the evil, voiceless murmuring. He admits that he passed the end of the avenue at an amble, and was abreast of a semicircle of shrubbery when a small object was thrust out from the shadow of the bushes and lay in the open light. Though the night was peculiarly still, it fluttered and balanced a moment, as if wind-blown, then came in skimming flights to his feet. He picked it up and made for the door, which yielded to his hand, and he flung it to and bolted it behind him. Once in the warmly lit hall, his senses returned, and he waited to recover breath and composure before facing the two men whose voices and laughter came from the room on his right. But the door of the room was thrown open, and the burly figure of Harland in his shirt-sleeves appeared on the threshold. "'Hello! Jones, that you? Come along,' he said genially. "'Bless me!' exclaimed Ned Jones irritably. "'There's not a light in any of the windows.' It might be a house of the dead. Harlan stared at him, but all he said was, Have a whiskey and soda? Savilsan, who was leaning over the billiard table, trying side strokes with his back to Nair Jones, added, Did you expect us to illuminate the place for you? There's not a soul in the house but ourselves. Say when, said Harland, poising the bottle over a glass. Nair Jones laid down what he held in his hand on the corner of the billiard-table, and took up his glass. "'What in creation's this?' asked Savilsan. "'I don't know. The wind blew it to my feet, just outside,' replied Nair Jones, between two long pulls at the whisky and soda. "'Blown to your feet,' repeated Savilsan, taking the thing and weighing it in his hand. It must be blowing a hurricane, then. It isn't blowing at all, returned Nair Jones blankly. The night is dead calm. For the object that had fluttered and rolled so lightly across the turf and gravel was small, battered, metal calf, made of some heavy brass amalgam. Savilson looked incredulously at Nair Jones's face and laughed. "'What's wrong? You look queer.' Nair Jones laughed too. He was already ashamed of the last ten minutes. Harland was meantime examining the metal calf. "'It's a Bengali idol,' he said. "'It's been knocked about a good bit by Jove. "'You say it blew out of the shrubbery? "'Like a bit of paper, I give you my word.' though there was not a breath of wind going, admitted Nair Jones. Seems odd, don't you know? remarked Harland carelessly. Now you two fellows had better begin. I'll mark. Nair Jones happened to be informed that night, and Savilson became absorbed in the delightful difficulty of giving him a sound thrashing. Suddenly Savilson paused in his stroke, "'What the sin's that?' he asked. "'They stood listening. "'A thin, broken crying could be heard. "'Sounds like a green plover,' remarked Nair Jones, "'chalking his cue. 
It's a kitten they shut up somewhere, said Harland. That's a child. And in a deuce of a fright, too, said Savilson. You'd better go and tuck him up in his little bed, Harland, he added with a laugh. Harland opened the door. There could no longer be any doubt about the sounds. The stifled shrieks and thin whimpering told of a child in the extremity of pain or fear. It's upstairs, said Harland. I'm going to see. Ned Jones picked up a lamp and followed him. I stay here, said Savile Sands, sitting down by the fire. In the hall the two men stopped and listened again. It is hard to locate a noise, but this seemed to come from the upper landing. Poor little beggar, exclaimed Harland, as he bounded up the staircase. The bedroom doors opening on the square central landing above were all locked, the keys being on the outside. But the crying led them into a side passage, which ended in a single room. It's in here, but the door's locked, said Nair Jones. Call out and see who's there. But Harland was set on business. He flung his weight against the panel, and the door burst open, the lock ricocheting noisily into a corner. As they passed in, the crying ceased abruptly. Harland stood in the centre of the room, while Nair Jones held up the light to look around. "'The Dickens!' exclaimed Harland exhaustively. The room was entirely empty. Not so much as a cupboard broke the smooth surface of the walls. Only the two low windows and the door by which they had entered. This is the room above the billiard room, isn't it? said Nair Jones at last. Yes, it's the only one I haven't had furnished yet. I thought I might... He stopped short, for behind them burst out a peal of harsh, mocking laughter that rang and echoed between the bare walls. Both men swung round simultaneously, and both caught a glimpse of a tall, thin figure in black, rocking with laughter in the doorway. But when they turned round, it was gone. They dashed out into the passage and landing. No one was to be seen. The doors were locked as before, and the staircase and hall were vacant. After making a prolonged search through every corner of the house, they went back to Savelsan in the billiard room. What were you laughing about? What is it, anyway? began Savelsan at once. It's nothing, and we didn't laugh, replied Nair Jones, definitely. But I heard you, insisted Savelsan. And where's the child? I wish you'd go up and find it, returned Harland grimly. We heard the laughing, and saw, or thought we saw, a man in black, something like a priest in a cassock, put in Nair Jones. Yes, like a priest, assented Harland. But as we turned, he disappeared. Savelsan sat down and gazed from one to the other of his companions. The house behaves as if it was haunted, he remarked. Only there's no such thing as an authenticated ghost outside the experiences of the Psychical Research Society. I'd ask the Society if I were you, Harland. You can never tell what you may find in these old houses. 
"'It's not an old house,' replied Harland. "'It was built somewhere about forty. "'I certainly saw that man. "'And look to it, Savelle Sand. "'I'll find out who or what he is. "'That I swear. "'The English law makes no allowance for ghosts. "'Nor will I. "'You'll have your hands full, or I'm mistaken.' exclaimed Savile Sand, grinning. A ghost that laughs and cries in a breath, and rolls battered idols about your front door, is not to be trifled with. The night is young yet, not much past eleven. I vote for a peg all round, and then I'll finish off Jones. Harland, sunk in a fit of sullen abstraction, sat on a settee and watched them. On a sudden, he said, "'It's turned beastly cold.' "'There's a beastly smell, you mean,' corrected Savilsan crossly, as he went round the table. He had made a break of forty, and did not want to be interrupted. "'The draught is from the window.' "'I've not noticed it before this evening,' said Harland, as he opened the shutters to make sure. As he did so, the night air rushed in, heavy with the smell as of an old well that has not been uncovered for years.' a smell of slime and of unwholesome wetness. The lower part of the window was wide open, and Harlan banged it down. It's abominable, he said, with an angry sniff, enough to give us all typhoid. Only dead leaves, remarked Nair Jones. There are rotten leaves of twenty winters under the trees outside this window. I noticed them when we came over on Tuesday. I'll have them cleared away tomorrow. I wonder how Tom's came to leave this window open, grumbled Harland, as he closed and bolted the shutter. What do you say? Forty-five? And he went to mark it up. The game went on for some time, and Nair Jones was lying across the table with his cue poised when he heard a slight sound behind him. Looking round, he saw Harland, his face flushed and angry, passing softly, wonderfully softly, for so big a man, Nair Jones remembers thinking, along the angle of the wall towards the window, all three men unite in declaring that they were watching the shutter, which opened inwards, as if thrust by some furtive hand from the outside. At the moment Nair Jones and Savile Sun were standing directly opposite to it, on the further side of the table, while Harland crouched behind the shutter, intent on giving the intruder a lesson. As the shutter unfolded to its utmost, the two men opposite saw a face pressed against the glass, a furrowed, evil face, with a wide laugh perched upon its sinister features. There was a second of absolute stillness, and Nair Jones's eyes met those other eyes, with the fascinated horror of a mutual understanding, as all the foul fancies that had pursued him in the avenue poured back into his mind. With an uncontrollable impulse of resentment, he snatched a billiard ball from the table and flung it with all his strength at the face. The ball crashed through the glass and threw the face beyond it. The glass fell and shattered but the face remained for an instant, peering and grinning at the aperture. Then Harland sprang forward 
and it was gone. The ball went clean through it, said Savelsan with a gasp. They crowded to the window, and throwing up the sash, leant out. The dank smell clung to the air. A boat-shaped moon glimmered between the bare branches, and on the white drive, beyond the shrubbery, the billiard ball could be seen, a shining spot under the moon. Nothing more. What was it? asked Harland. Only a face at the window, quoted Savilsan with an awkward attempt at making light of his own scare. Davilish queer face too, eh, Jones? I wish I'd got him, returned Harland, frowning. I'm not going to put up with any tricks about the place, don't you know? You bottle any tramp loping around, said Nair Jones. Harland looked down at his immense arms, outlined in his shirt sleeves. I could that, he answered. But this chap, did you hit him? Clean through the face, or at any rate, it looked like it, replied Savel San, as Nair Jones stood silent. Harland shut the shutter and poked up the fire. It's a cursed, creepy affair, he said. I hope the servants won't get hold of any of this nonsense. Ghosts play the very mischief with a house. Although I, I don't believe them myself, don't you know? He concluded. Then Savilsan broke out in an unexpected place. Nor do I, as a rule, he said slowly. Still, you know, it's a sickening idea to think of a spirit condemned to haunt the scene of its crime, waiting for the world to die. Harland and Nair Jones looked at him. Have a whisky neat, suggested Harland soothingly. I never knew you'd taken that way before. Nair Jones laughed out. He says he do not know why he laughed, nor why he said what follows. It's this way, he said. The moment of foul satisfaction is gone forever, yet for all the time the guilty spirit must perpetuate its sin, the sin that brought it no lasting reward, only a momentary reward experienced, it may be, centuries ago, but to which it still clings the punishment of eternally rehearsing in loneliness, and cold and gloom the sin of other days. No punishment can be conceived of that's more horrible than that. Sir Velsen is right. I think we've had enough about ghosts, said Harlan cheerfully. Let's go on. Hurry up, Sir Velsen. There's the billiard ball, said Nair Jones. Who'll go and fetch? Not I, replied Savelsan promptly. When that was at the window, I felt sick. Nair Jones nodded. And I wanted to bolt, he said emphatically. Harland faced about from the fire. And I, though I saw nothing but the shutter, I, hang it, don't you know, so did I. There was panic in the air for a minute. But I'm shot if I'm afraid now, he concluded doggedly. I'll go. His animal face was lit with courage and resolution. I've spent close to five thousand pounds over this blessed house, first and last, and I'm not going to be done out of it by any infernal spiritualism, he added, as he took down his coat and pulled it on. 
It's all in view through the window, except those few yards through the shrubbery, said Sir Vailsand. Take a stick and go, though on second thoughts I bet you a fiver you don't. I don't want a stick, answered Harland. I'm not afraid, not now, and I'd meet most men with my hands. Ned Jones opened the shutters again. The sash was low, and he pushed the window up and leant far out. It's not much of a drop, he said, and slung his legs over the lintel. But the night was full of the smell, and something else. He leapt back into the room. Don't go, Harland. Harland gave him a look that set his blood burning. What is there, after all, to be afraid of in a ghost? He asked heavily. Ned Jones, sick with the sense of his own newly-born cowardice, yet entirely unable to master it, answered feebly, I can't say, but don't go. The words seemed inevitable, though he could have kicked himself for hanging back. There was a forced laugh from Savelsan. Give it up and stop at home, little man, he said. Harland merely snorted in reply and laid his great leg over the window ledge. The other two watched his big, tweed-clad figure as it crossed the grass and disappeared into the shrubbery. You and I are in a preposterous funk, said Savelsan with unpleasant explicitness, as Harland, whistling loudly, passed into the shadow. But this was a point in which Nair Jones could not bring himself to speak at that moment. Then they all sat on the sill and waited. The moon shone out quite clearly above the avenue, which now lay white and undimmed between the crowding trees. And he's whistling because he's afraid, continued Savelsan. He's not afraid, replied Nair Jones shortly. Besides, he's doing what neither of us were very keen on. The whistling stopped suddenly. Savelsan said afterwards that he fancied he saw Harlan's huge grey-clad shoulders with uplifted arms rise for a few seconds above the bushes. Then, out of the silence, came peal upon peal of that infernal laughter, and, following it, the thin, pitiful crying of the child. That too ceased, and an absolute stillness seemed to fall upon the place. They leant out and listened intensely. The minutes passed slowly. In the middle of the avenue, the billiard ball glinted on the gravel, but there was no sign of Harland emerging from the shrubbery path. He should be there by now, said Nair Jones anxiously. They listened again. Everything was quiet. The ticking of Harland's big watch on the mantelpiece was distinctly audible. This is too much said Nair Jones. I'm going to see where he is. He swung himself out on the grass, and Savile Sam called to him to wait, as he was coming also. While Nair Jones stood waiting, there was a sound as of a pig grunting and rooting among the dead leaves in the shrubbery. They ran forward into the darkness and found the shrubbery path. A minute later, they came upon something that tossed and snorted and rolled under the shrubs. Great heavens, cried Nair Jones. It's Harland. He's breaking somebody's neck, added Savalsan, peering into the gloom. Nair Jones was himself again, 
the powerful instinct of his profession the help-giving instinct possessed him to the exclusion of every other feeling he's in a fit it's just a fit he said in a matter-of-fact tone as he bent over the struggling form that's all with the assistance of Savelsan, he managed to carry harland out into the open drive harland's eyes were fearful and froth hung about his blue puffing lips as they laid him down upon the ground he rolled over and lay still while from the shadows broke another shout of laughter it's apoplexy we must get him away from here said ned jones but first i'm going to see what's in those bushes he dashed through the shrubbery backwards and forwards he seemed to feel the strength of ten men as he wrenched and tore and trampled the branches letting in the light of the moon to its darkness at last he paused exhausted of course there's nothing said Savelsan wearily what did you expect after the incident of the billiard ball together with awful toil they bore the big man down the narrow avenue and at the lodge gate they met the carriage some time later the subject of their common experience at medans lee was discussed amongst the three men indeed for many weeks harland had not been in any state to discuss the subject at all but as soon as he was allowed to do so he invited ned jones and savelsan to meet mr flaxman low the scientist whose work on psychology and kindred matters are so well known at the metropole and thresh out the matter flaxman low listened with his usual air of gentle abstraction from time to time making notes on the back of an envelope he looked at each narrator in turn as he took up the thread of the story he understood perfectly that the man who stood furthest from the mystery must inevitably have been the self-centred savilsan the next in order came ne'er jones with sympathetic possibilities but a crowded brain closest of all would be big kindly harland with more than one strong animal instinct about him and whose bulk of matter was evidently permeated by a receptive spirit when they had ended savilsan turned to flaxman low there you have the events mr low now the question is how to deal with them classify them replied flaxman low the crying would seem to indicate a child began savilsan ticking off the list on his fingers the black figure the face at the window and the laughter are naturally connected so far i can go alone i conclude that we saw the apparition of a man possibly a priest who during his lifetime ill-treated a child and whose punishment is to haunt the scene of his crime precisely the punishment being worked out under conditions which admit human observation returned flaxman low as for the child the sound of crying was merely a part of the mise-en-scene but that explanation stops short of several points how about the suggestive thoughts experienced by my friend Nair jones what brought on the fit in the case of mr harland who assures me that he was not suffering from fright or any other violent emotion 
And what connection can be traced between all those things and the Bengali idol? Sabalsan ended. Let us take the Bengali idol first, said Lowe. It is just one of those discrepant particulars which, at first sight, seem wholly irreconcilable with the rest of the phenomena, yet these often form a test point by which our theories are approved or otherwise. Flaxman Lowe took up the metal calf from the table as he spoke. I should be inclined to connect this with the child. Observe it. It has not been roughly used. It is rubbed and dinted as a plaything usually is. I should say that the child may have had Anglo-Indian relations. At this, Nair Jones bent forward, and in his turn examined the idol, while Savelsan smiled his thin, incredulous smile. These are ingenious theories, he said, but we are really no nearer to facts, I'm afraid. The only proof would be an inquiry into the former history of Medans Lee. If events had happened there which would go to support this theory, why then, but I cannot supply that information. I know something of Medans Lee, put in Nair Jones. I found out a good deal about it before I left the place. I must congratulate Mr. Lowe on his methods, for his theory tallies in a wonderful manner with the known facts of the case. The house was long known to be haunted. It seems that many years ago, a lady, the widow of an Indian officer, lived there with her only child, a boy for whom she engaged a tutor, a dark-looking man who wore a long black coat like a cassock and called the Jesuit by the country people. One evening the man took the boy out into the shrubbery. Screams were heard, and when the child was brought in, he was found to have lost his reason. He used to cry and shriek incessantly, but was never able to tell what had been done to him as long as he lived. As for this idol, the mother probably brought it with her from India, and the child used it as a toy, perhaps because he was allowed no others. Yes, admitted Savalsan grudgingly. But how about your sensations and Harland's seizure? You must know what was done to the child, Harland. What did you see in the shrubbery? Harland's florid face assumed a queer pallor. I saw... something, he replied hesitatingly. I can't recall what it was. I only remember being possessed by a blind terror and then nothing more until I recovered consciousness at the hotel the next day. Can you account for this, Mr. Lowe? asked Nair Jones. And there was also my strange notion of the whispering in the avenue. I think so, replied Flaxman Lowe. I believe that the theory of atmospheric influences, which includes the power of environment to reproduce certain scenes, and also thoughts, would throw light upon your sensations as well as Mr. Harland's. Such influences play a far larger part in your everyday experience than we have as yet any idea of. There was a silence of a few moments. Then Harland spoke. 
I fancy that we have said all that there is to be said upon this matter. We are very much obliged to you, Mr. Lowe. I don't know how it strikes you other fellows, but speaking for myself, I have seen enough of ghosts to last me for a very long time. And now, ended Harland wearily, if you have no objection, we will pass on to pleasanter subjects. End of chapter 2